welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week, we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. On the show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song written by our friend Jazzy Bentley. So we'll talk about the movie in three different sections, Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things we love that tickle us pink. This week, we're talking about A Time to Kill, starring Matthew McConaughey, Samuel L. Jackson, and Sandra Bullock. Released in 1996, it was based on the novel by John Grisham, which was published in 1988. A Time to Kill was directed by Joel Schumacher, and the screenplay was written by Akiva Goldsman. The IMDb classifies this movie as crime drama thriller, And the tagline is, a lawyer and his assistant fighting to save a father on trial for murder, a time to question what they believe, a time to doubt what they trust, and no time for mistakes. I'm actually really surprised they didn't use the phrase a time to kill in that tagline. Yeah. Because they were heading towards it. They really were. (laughs) All right. Before we get started, we do want to take a moment to acknowledge that we are not experts on the topic of race in the South. This movie is going to be tough to talk about. It's ugly, but it is also honest. Our experiences as white women from the South is limited. And part of analyzing these movies and becoming more aware of our own lenses is realizing more and more the privilege that we have and owning the limitations of our awareness and experiences. So while we will talk about how much the racism, hatred, and violence in this movie disturb us, they're real, destructive, pervasive, and systemic, we are not going to attempt to analyze the perspective of the black characters in this movie because we simply can't. But I do appreciate this movie, disturbing as it is, for making me question the ways in which I might think I'm a good person, but instead simply be a well-intentioned person who doesn't know all of the blind spots that I have. So to any of our listeners who have a different perspective of racism in this movie or who want to share your perspectives, we would love to hear from you. Yes, very much so. So, Mandy, what is your Southern culture experience related to A Time to Kill? There were a couple of uh, instances where somebody said something that just sounded so completely familiar that I had to call them out. Mm-hmm. Ethel, Jake's secretary, uh, when when Jake and Harry Rex are kind of ragging on her because they're saying that she dated their former boss, mm-hmm. she is just so indignant about it. And she says, I am an upstanding, God-fearing, respectable Southern woman with unimpeachable morals. <laughs> and I was just thinking... That's every old white woman in the South I've ever met. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure I've heard those words verbatim from more than one person. Yeah. I kind of think they give them out on business cards. (laughs) I think so. I really think so. Yeah. And uh, Carla got mad at Jake, and she she pulled out the middle name. Mm -hmm. Jake Tyler Bergantz. Yep. And let me just tell you, in the South, you don't know you're in trouble until that middle name comes out. And when that middle name comes out, you better run. That's what middle names are for. Absolutely. <laughs> Unless your name is Mandy Kay, and then you just use it all the time. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, so that was some of the more fun stuff that, that I've experienced from this movie. I think the thing that hit the hardest for me was the scene – where Carly is explaining to Jake why he picked him as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. See, Jake, 
You think just like them. That's why I picked you. You one of them, don't you see? Oh, you think you ain't because you eating clothes and, and, and you out there trying to get me off on TV talking about black and white. But fact is, you just like all the rest of them. When you look at me, you don't see a man. You see a black man. And this kind of thinking has been ingrained in me my whole entire life. I was absolutely raised with an us versus them mentality. While even at the same time, those same teachers were proclaiming that they were not prejudiced or racist. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I have heard someone say, be it a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a pastor, some adult, some person who had authority over me as a child, telling me that they weren't being racist because black people were different and so we should treat them differently. Mm-hmm. Me too. And what that gives you, and, and these people legitimately think they're the good guys. They, they think the people who raised me, my parents, my grandparents, the pastors of my church, they all think they're the good guys, just like Jake thinks he's the good guy. And and so really what you are, you're the ones who just close your eyes to what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Because you, you grow up believing that you're not racist. You grow up believing that you don't have prejudices, but at the same time, you believe that you're different, Mm -hmm. that you're not all just human. And that's so damaging. And hearing, hearing Samuel L. Jackson or Carly say that to Jake just felt a little bit like a punch in the gut. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that since I've been an adult, since I've left the small town in the south since I've been out on my own and since I've looked for things myself and and I've stopped just accepting what people tell me my perspectives have changed a lot Mm -hmm. and so I know that I I am not like Jake now but just to think about how it seemed so normal to think like that when I was younger it hurt to be reminded of it yeah absolutely and that's definitely the part of the movie that hits me the hardest too so yeah, that's all I got for the Southern, <laughs> Southern culture stuff. I mean, because it was just the, the things that I experienced are related to the racial tension. I think mm-hmm. I've I've obviously never been on the other side of that, but realizing how deeply ingrained issues of race are when you're raised in the South is just horrifying, even in 2018. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. And it's, it's so, well, it's, it is because it's so deeply ingrained and so normalized that it's difficult to even realize that your perspective is flawed. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, at least it was for me, it took a long time to understand that the way I was raised was wrong. And like, that the people who had raised me were wrong. And, you know, just trying and trying to do that differently with my son and I'm sure failing in a million ways but it is it's it's very difficult and it's not something I even begin to know how to speak to articulately Mm -hmm. or intelligently at all right right absolutely I think it's one of those things where as long as you are insulated by the people who are teaching you that you're never going to change and it takes Mm -hmm. 
moving beyond that, moving to to college or moving to a city, moving somewhere where you get to see different perspectives. Mm-hmm. That's the beginning yeah. of, of that kind of change. Yeah. Well, and, and I think my perspective growing up in it was a little bit different because the city where I spent most of my childhood is, is a, it's not a small town. It's like a hundred thousand people. Okay. And I I think the racial demographics are about 80% African-American and about 20% white. So it's a very different kind of environment, but what happens in what happened in my experience is that the white community then became very insulated. So Mm -hmm. like there are more private schools in Macon, Georgia, than I can even begin to count. And segregation is still alive and well in mm-hmm. so many ways. And it's it's just sad and sort of ridiculous. But segregation was alive and well there in the 80s, too. And when I was in second grade, my family moved from Georgia to Jacksonville, Florida, where racial relationships were very different and much better. But then in the middle of fifth grade, we moved back to Macon. And I remember the first day of school, we had to walk into the cafeteria. Like all the kids had to go to the cafeteria first thing in the morning and then the bell rang and you went to homeroom. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but that's how we did it. And when I walked in, the student body was completely divided. So all the white kids were on one side of the cafeteria and all the black kids were on the other. And I was so confused. Like I had never... Like, the things must have been that way before when I lived there, but I didn't remember because I was so young. Right. And then coming back to that, I was just shocked, you know. And then in the ninth grade, a friend of mine named Edward, who was a young black man, walked me to my honor civics class one day during the Rodney King riots because fights were breaking out in every hallway, in every corridor. Like, it was a very violent day at the school, and he didn't want me walking alone. And when we got to the classroom, he kind of squeezed my hand before he turned and walked away. I mean, he didn't hug or anything because public displays of affection weren't allowed in the school. But our teacher, like our grown-up adult teacher, yelled at me in front of the whole class. He said, well, it looks like someone has a case of jungle fever. And I was, again, super confused because I didn't know what that meant. Right. I had I didn't know what the word meant. I just knew that he was mad at me. Like, I knew he was angry for some reason mm-hmm. that Edward had walked me to class. Right. But, like, I didn't even fully comprehend what, what he was saying. But it was really funny because it was at that same school in the ninth grade that my English teacher assigned us to read A Time to Kill. And I was amazed and, like, overjoyed because we had popular fiction as a textbook. <laughs> right. Like, I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, so I first read A Time to Kill sort of during that very tumultuous period of time where, you know, there was a lot of violence in the city and, and racial relations were even more tense than they usually were. Um, and I didn't have any tools to understand it, you know, or even begin to, to understand what was going on. Um, but it was, it was just very disconcerting. And when I look back and think at how segregated things were in my lifetime, you know, it, it just seems insane to me. Yeah. The sheriff said that he had a line in this movie. If I get any trouble out of you, I'm going to integrate this jail. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to the, the two boys who had raped Tanya. 
And that line surprised me because I did not know that jails would still be segregated in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Like I knew social segregation was a thing, like your experience in the schools. My experience in the schools in the 90s was very much still socially segregated. The school Mm -hmm. bus, the classrooms, the lunchroom, all of it. And and then you would sometimes have one or two people who would float Mm -hmm. um, between all of the groups. But by large, socially even through the late 90s, very segregated. But I legitimately did not know that public, state-owned, lawful places like a jail would still be segregated. Yeah. And I wondered if it was a formal thing or an informal thing within the jail. But it was, yeah. And and it just makes me so sad because it didn't surprise me at all. Like, to say that I grew up with and around racist is an understatement and it's very real and very ugly and permeates every aspect of life in the South as I know it. And it just breaks my heart. And because I don't like, and I also feel helpless to do a damn thing about it, you know, (laughs) because I don't know how to break that cycle. I don't know how to pull the people that I grew up with and that raised me out of it. I don't know how to change perspectives or make things better. And it's, um, I think it, it, it kind of just makes me feel helpless to both understand it and change it. Yeah. I remember one time when I was in college, I was visiting my granny and my papa and both of them did not believe they were racist, but were very much a product of their time. Mm-hmm. Um, both born in 1936, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they frequently would say things. They would use phrases and words and descriptors that were very racist in nature. And I eventually got frustrated enough that I called my papa out on it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't speak to me for six months after that. Oh, I believe that. I, I Like I said, I don't know how to begin to unpack the ugly of it. Um but I, I don't think that there was anything in this movie that was inauthentic, as sad no. as I am to say that. Yeah, absolutely. It, let me see, how do I want to say this? I forgot how brutal and graphic and authentic this movie was. I remember thinking it was well written. I remember. I I hesitate to say enjoy the movie, but I remember thinking that it was a good movie. It's been a very long time since I had seen it, Mm -hmm. probably 10, maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so my memory of the details was very, very fuzzy. And I think I I remember loving the big speech at the end and thinking that it was so full of hope. I remembered that Carl Lee got off, that he Mm -hmm. was acquitted. And, And so I was unprepared for the emotion that I had while I was watching it today. Me too. And and it's it's funny because I would say this is a great movie in terms of it being a very powerful movie. I don't know that I can survive watching it again. And I think it's interesting like how my perspective has shifted into what I thought the movie was about or mm-hmm. even what I, what I guess what I thought the story was about. Because when I read the book, I thought it was about a brave, brilliant lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then the first time I watched the movie, I thought it was about broken society and racism. And now, I guess because I'm, I don't know if it's because I'm a parent or just having processed other things in my life or what, but 
now this movie is about a little girl who gets yeah. lost and forgotten in this movie. And also, this was a bad week for me to watch destructive, cruel, violent, hateful, redneck rapists and murderers. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The timing of this was not fantastic. And I think the Green Mile crushed my soul because there was magic in that world that did not save the day. But A Time to Kill crushes my heart because there is no magic that can heal the world here. You know, this is gritty and mean. It's cold reality. And it physically hurt to watch this movie. Like, I felt sick and hot and lightheaded when Tanya was attacked and angry and sick most of the way through. So, I just, I mean, I know that is incredibly powerful storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I can take this one again. (laughs) I completely understand. I forgot that they showed in such graphic detail how tanya was attacked Mm -hmm. and it honestly wasn't even that graphic because we saw hands we saw feet we we didn't see we didn't actually see the beer cans hit her but we heard it right we heard all of it we heard her screaming for her daddy we saw blood we saw the ropes and i was unprepared for that yeah i I was i did not remember how brutal the beginning of this movie was because all I could remember was the hope from the end mm-hmm. yeah and this was a tough week to watch a tough movie yeah it really really was it really was so do you want to start blessing hearts oh yeah let's let's bless some hearts um I think I- I'm gonna take the shorter route here and, and let you cover more than me just because I like it when you rant because you get real southern and it's awesome (laughs) I will take that as a compliment (laughs) (laughs) but I have a few I have a few so after the the two rapists were murdered we cut to their funeral Mm -hmm. and in the middle of the funeral uh, Freddie and the other boy whose name I cannot remember walk away to go have a cigarette Mm -hmm. and then while they're having that cigarette they start planning finding the clan and all of that stuff and i am sorry in real life these boys would not have walked away in the middle of the funeral service to smoke they would have waited until it's over i don't care how awful or evil these men are they would show respect to their mama i know some men who would do that really i'm related to some men who would do that Wow! (laughs) but i really love that you have that perspective (laughs) like i love that you think this is true (laughs) okay (laughs) well that was my first thought i was like i especially with it being such a small crowd there i mean there were like six people there and so like a third of them walked away and i i did not find that to be believable but yeah Maybe really, maybe I I'm really, just really naive. No, I I really love that that is your take. I like it. <laughs> and I wish that you were right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and then we move on to Freddie meeting the clans folk and the whole speech that he gives that culminates with white folks ain't got a chance. Oh god. I cannot stand this kind of delusional bullshit. It just makes me angry. And, like, I wanted to punch things. It was disgusting beyond the the telling. It was just... Evangelical and evil mixed together becomes a force all of its own. And 
it's hideous. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, hideous is a really good word for it. And then, okay, so you have previously used heat as an authentic Southern experience. Like you mm-hmm. can see the, the pop, like the popple heat on the screen. And so that has been something that for you is a sign of authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. This movie decided to take it to 15. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Everybody was soaking wet all of the time. But oh my God, did you notice how wet Ashley Judd was in every single scene she was in? Except her face. Because her makeup was always perfect. Sometimes, like, you could tell, like, her face had been spritzed just a little bit right before the camera was on her. She might have, like, a perfect dewy kind of spritz. Yes. But that girl's face was not sweaty. And her hair was not sweaty. Yes, exactly. it was the glistening body, but the perfect makeup. (laughs) But they didn't do that to Sandra Bullock. They did it to Ashley Judd because Ashley Judd is the blonde sorority from Ole Miss like sex pot character and so i found that to be horribly sexist and objectifying and misogynistic and i hated it yeah i thought it was ridiculous absolutely and then so whenever they have the psychiatrist for the defense on william terrell bass whatever his name was Mm -hmm. that whole thing has always bothered me this the statutory rape thing yeah how could he forget that he had been accused and convicted of being a statutory rapist. Like, I understand that he married her and the record was expunged, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Oh, honey, he didn't forget. He just firmly believed that he was safe. Like, his record had been expunged. He thought he was protected. Like, his privilege literally led him to believe that he did not have to admit it anymore. Okay. that's. Just- I mean, that was my take. He played it so that he came across as genuinely confused. Oh, yeah. Like, I think he did that on purpose. I don't okay. I don't think he believed that evidence still actually existed because he really thought he was safe and protected. Okay. So denial was like his go-to strategy. Okay. I guess that's better than the bad writing that I was thinking this was <laughs> because I just, I could not wrap my brain around how you could forget that you had a felony conviction. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's not like selective amnesia. It's like privileged amnesia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then really the last thing that just bothered me so much, um, you know, I can name the characters, Ethel and Carla and Harry Rex, all of them. At some point in time during this movie, they tried to get Jake to drop the case because it inconvenienced them. Mm Mm-hmm. Not because it was the right or the wrong thing to do. They weren't thinking about Carly. They specifically were not thinking about Tanya. It just was inconvenient because they had burning crosses in their yards. You know, it was taking up a lot of time. They couldn't pay their bills. But you know what? Taking the case was the right thing to do. And that's what everybody should have said. Yeah. And the fact that they didn't, that they were looking at convenience as being more important than a man's life, than a 10-year-old's life. I, I couldn't handle it. Like, I like to believe that the people in my life would not be like that. I am pretty sure the people in my life would. Um, well, no, that's not true. The chosen family that I have would not. Right. The people that I come from absolutely would. Um, yeah. Because it seemed to me that everyone wanted 
Jake should drop the case when shit got scary. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what was the right thing, but it, you know, now stuff was scary and it brought the scary and ugly to their own front doors. But the scary and ugly was always there. It just didn't matter until it affected their own lives. And that kind of privilege and indifference was just really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I did feel terrible for Bud being killed and sad for Ethel, but that was not Jake's fault. Jake no, did not kill him. The clan killed him, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of wanted to ask Ethel, well, then who do you think should defend Carly? Like, no one should stand up for him because they'd be facing the clan. So let's just let the clan win, but be real polite about it. Like, no. <laughs> right. You know, and I also, I couldn't understand everyone for being angry at Jake for obsessing about this case. You know, this was a super fast timeline. This was not something that was delayed for months and months where he had like a huge team of people helping him. It was immediate and fast and it required every ounce of strength he had. How could he possibly fight a case like this without obsessive passion? Right. It just, you know, it didn't, I I just didn't understand what they expected from him. Except in the end, they simply wanted him to be on TV and not inconvenience them in any way. Right. Because these are the same folks who are just like Jake, who think they're the good guys. And so they don't want to deal with the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't want the ugliness to impact their lives, like you said. And so it's easier to walk away. It's easier to look in the other direction and just let things play out than it is to make a stand yeah i think so too and it made me mad yes absolutely the authenticity of this movie is both impressive and horrifying (laughs) yes i think i would sum up the movie like that the performances are impressive as hell the storyline is horrifying (laughs) the the storyline is horrifying but i think that the fact that that John Grisham and I, I read the book in the ninth grade too, and I don't entirely remember everything about it. I remember it being slightly different from the book, but I think the 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 movie is is fairly true to the book. But for for John Grisham to to write these tensions and and stay so true to them, like he didn't sugarcoat it. Yeah, you know, he didn't make Jake. The, oh, what was it that Ellen called him? The JFK Jesus Christ white boy? (laughs) Yeah. Like, he didn't actually make him that. You know, Mm -hmm. he made him flawed. He made him the way that most of us are raised in the South. Mm -hmm. And not everybody would have done that. And so for it to have remained so true, even if that truth is ugly, that impresses me about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, Kelly, are you ready to let us have it? (laughs) Well, I was trying to find a new phrase because bless your heart is not strong enough for how I feel about the violence and hatred and racism and cowardice and cruelty in this movie. But then I realized those things are sort of the point Mm -hmm. of this movie. But even so, Billy Ray and Willard and Freddie and the KKK men can go to hell, just like Carl Lee said. And to quote Shepard Book, I hope there's a special corner of hell reserved for them (laughs) did you recognize the actor who played willard yes but i couldn't place him like i knew his face but i don't know where i know him from 
we just watched him last week in the Green Mile. That was Doug Hutchison who played Percy. Oh, you're kidding. He's really good at playing a complete and total psychopath. Yes. Yes, he is. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I didn't even realize that. I was looking at him and I was like, he looks so familiar. I cannot place him. And I looked him up and I was like, oh, wow. Like, having long hair really does change the way you look. Oh, Same yeah. Guy. Same guy. Wow. I did not realize that. I was like, I know I know his face. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't want to look at him. Yeah, I understand. Long. So, yeah, oh, that's, that's kind of creepy and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> well, he got his heart blessed twice in a row. <laughs> yes, he did. So, yeah, and one of the things I started to put on this list was Jake enjoying the TV spotlight and the reporters and the congratulations calls. Like, that was so gross to me. But then he got the call from the clan and shit got real. But again, like, it's not really a bless your heart because Jake's identity had to walk through hell in order to come out as his true self on the other side. Mm-hmm. Because he thought he was a good man, right? He had right. a good life, a good job, a sweet old Miss Sorority girl wife, cute kid, good friends, a nice house. And he saw himself as one of the good guys. And then Carl Lee and Ellen Rourke and Ethel and Carla and everyone around him, in addition to the hell that broke out around him, challenged and changed that identity. Right. And and I think that that's actually really good storytelling, even if it was really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. But when Carl Lee told Jake, he said, you're my secret weapon because you're one of the bad guys. You don't mean to be, but you are. You see me just like the jury sees me. If you were on that jury, what would it take to convince you to set me free? That's how you'll save my ass. That's how you'll save us both. And I thought that is the best teaching of perspective shifting that I have ever heard. And Carly was so damn smart and so aware of the limited perspectives of the people around him Mm -hmm. that it was just incredible to me. And it, it did... I did want to bless some hearts about Jake being more concerned about getting paid than Carl Lee's family not having money for groceries. Yeah. And like, I can see both sides of that because Jake has to pay for the defense and, you know, Jake also needs to get paid. But I wish he had had a little more empathy for Carl Lee in that situation. But what bothers me most is the beaten and raped and traumatized little girl at the heart of the story being overlooked and forgotten by almost everyone else in the story. Yeah. And like, how in the world did she survive what was done to her? You know, and the questions that I found myself asking now were, does she have access to therapy, to ongoing medical care? Or are we just supposed to think she's fine now that her attackers have been punished and her father's free? I think because, that's what the movie wants us to think. Yeah, but the movie just really wasn't about her. Right. Like, Carla didn't have to worry about Jake's fear and reaction because the bad thing had happened to Tanya, not to Hannah. Yeah. And so I think, like, in the in the scope of the story and the way that it affected everyone else, like, the true heart of the story got lost for me. Yeah. And I didn't see that until I watched it this time. And I think Jake was incredibly stupid for handling that bomb. Oh, my God. But yes. <laughs> I think he was still young enough to believe in his own immortality. 
And he did have some self-awareness about it when he said, ain't nothing more dangerous in this world than a fool with a cause. Carla loves this house. (laughs) But I was like, you about blew yourself up and the sheriff, you dumb ass man. Yep. And then was it just me? Or can you believe that Judge Noose was actually named Judge Noose? I was hoping that that, you didn't spell it like Noose because I live near the Noose River. Uh Uh-huh. Which is N-E-U-S-E. Ah. And so I was hoping that it was not like a rope noose, but it was the other noose. Well, I watch movies with the closed caption on because sometimes I can't um, catch all the dialogue if I don't. Yeah. And like I need to know the words if I'm going to talk about the movie. And it's spelled like the rope in the closed Ah. caption. But I don't know if that was the way that they intended it or not. (laughs) But that was what was on my screen every time. Um, and then of course, you know, I hated the DA because all he saw was the publicity and his career ambition, but Kevin Spacey does a damn good Southern accent. He really does. I actually paused the movie to look up where he was from. Oh. Because I was like, is he really Southern? Because this is fantastic. He's from New Jersey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then that's pretty amazing. I don't know how he did it, but like, it was spot on. It was like the male version of Clary in yes. Steel Magnolias. Jake Brigands. <laughs> and today ain't even my birthday. Brigands couldn't tie his own tie without that old drunk Will Banks. Well, he's telling the press he never lost a murder case. Yeah, well, he's never tried one against me, has he? What time's the preliminary? Tomorrow at 3. Judge Omar Noose presiding. Oh, I was wrong. It is my birthday. Like he had the cadence, he had the inflection. It was that I'm rich, I can rule the world, I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to care about anybody else. Southern accent. You nailed that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so did Kevin Spacey. (laughs) Now I just want to hear Kevin Spacey say, What do you think of this color? Would you say that's a grape or more of an aubergine? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, and I have to say, like, Jake is wrong about his stance on the death penalty, and Ellen is right. Yes. Because I, I will not, like, how in hell can we have a just society if the state executes people? And I really liked how she called him out on that. You know, say, you go watch a man be executed and come back here and tell me this crap about justice. Yeah. So I like that. I don't know that he listened to her on it but i liked her for saying it however i will bless jake's heart brilliant attorney or not because the man apparently cannot do his own laundry what the hell he doesn't have any underwear because his wife is out of town like if you can go to law school you can learn how to use a goddamn washer and dryer and he's a real big fan of drinking and driving yeah really not a good idea (laughs) most people in this movie were a big fan of drinking and driving yeah there were lots of beer cans in cars there were lots and lots of beer cans in cars. So, of course, the first person that ever drove me around while he was drunk was a cop. So, I guess the standards Aww. I grew up with for it were pretty low. But still, I was like, damn, Jake. And then the um, the court, like, all the violence in the street and the fighting and all of that was horrible. But those people selling the freaking t-shirts, the free Carl Lee on one side and the fry Carl Lee on the other... Like, that case had become spectacle, and it was not about Tanya or Carly at all. And those people should be ashamed of themselves. Yes, I 100% agree with that. 
And then the judge calling Rourke Lois Lane was not funny. No. And that judge was an asshole anyway. He was, but by the end of it, I was impressed that he ended up being more impartial than I expected him to be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think that he planned on not being impartial at all. He had already made his mind up. I mean, not that it really mattered since it, the jury's the one who finds the, the verdict on this, mm-hmm. but he he started out like overruling everything. Mm-hmm. And by the end, he was like, no, I want to know where this is going, and I want to hear this, and he has a right to speak. And and so I think that the judge changed a little bit, too, over the course of the trial. Yeah. Not a lot, but a little. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So the last two things I had both bother me on a very personal level, because they brought forth dark thoughts to my mind that I didn't really want to admit mm-hmm. to having. But when the clan attacked and kidnapped Rourke and tied her up in the woods, first of all, I forgot that that happened. And I was horrified. But when she held on and said, Carly Haley should have shot you too. Like, I wanted to stand up and applaud her. Yeah. And I was so horrified by having this thought, but I cannot believe that they did not rape her. I had the same thought. Oh, I'm so glad it wasn't just me. Like, if anything felt inauthentic, it was that. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate having that perspective, but it didn't feel as real to me. And I mean, I'm glad they didn't. God knows. Right. I'm glad they didn't. But I hate that that thought crossed my mind, you know, mm-hmm. and I was glad that one of them had enough of a conscience to come back and get her. But if we're supposed to see that Mickey Mouse guy as a good guy, they did it wrong. like that is not a good man. No, no, he's definitely not. And I think... God, the sheer arrogance that those men had because they did not hide their identities from her at all. And they didn't kill her. Right. They, they they didn't rape her. They just beat her up and they left her there. Now, granted, I think they intended her to die because mm-hmm. of the elements, but they're not really that smart. But the sheer arrogance of believing that they could do this in their own names and get away with it. Yeah. That infuriated me beyond belief. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was awful. And so, okay, this last thing. This has always bothered me. Every time I've watched this movie, this is the one line that I remember. And it's the one line that I hate. I think because I hate that he needed to say it, but it bothers me. So Jake goes through that amazing summation. And he tells Tanya's story, even though I I just, I can't bear to hear it, you know, and he's crying and his performance is so incredible but then he says to the jury now imagine she's white and I cannot stand thinking that Tanya would have to be white for that jury to care enough about her to see that case for what it was yeah I both love and hate that line Mm -hmm. I I hate it for the same reason because because that line means that Tanya would have to be white for the jury to care about her And I love it because the story went there, because the story used it. It's a brilliant and in-your-face way to actually call out racism and Mm -hmm. to say this is what it's like. And it's so hard to watch, but I hopefully watching it and experiencing those feelings would be enough to at least make people start questioning. 
yeah, what they that's believe a really good and, point. and whether or not would this really happen in, in real life? Absolutely. Especially in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's why I like the line. I think it's a teaching tool. But I, like you, I hate that we live in a world, even now, where you need that line. I think you worded that much better than I did. Like, I like uh, that perspective on that really helps me. That's really good. Very thoughtful. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's just, why do things have to be ugly and hateful, Mandy? I don't <laughs> like it. I don't know. I don't know. I, one of the things, and, and I don't really know where to put this in our conversation, but, but one of the things that really bothers me the most about this movie, watching it in 2018, is how it feels like nothing's changed. Yeah. I think that's what bothers me the most. So, now that we have thoroughly depressed ourselves. <laughs> yes, I put, when I got done ri- watching the movie, my last note was, somebody please put me to bed. I am an emotional wreck. Yeah. So, let's talk about some things that we liked. Like, okay. things that actively made us happy in the movie. All right. Yeah. What, what tickled you pink, Mandy? Um, the main thing is Ellen. Mm-hmm. Partly just because she's Sandra Bullock and in my eyes, Sandra Bullock can do no wrong. <laughs> I love her. I wanted to be her when I was younger. Mm-hmm, um, me too. But, but Ellen, she's such a badass. She knows what she wants. She knows she can help. She knows how smart she is. And she is persistent. And she is strong as fuck. She yeah. said um, after she was in the hospital and, and Jake is just apologizing profusely because it's he's saying it's his fault this happened to her she says they didn't hurt anything that won't heal yeah and that kind of mental strength after an attack that brutal is something i can only hope to have if i ever went through that kind of experience she was amazing the only thing that i didn't like about it is that the attack took her out of the courtroom at the end yeah i mean what the hell like (laughs) she she should have been there that bothered me too yeah. Um, Jake's summation at the end is probably my very favorite thing about this movie. But but the, the part of it that really spoke to me was the part in the middle before before he gets to Tanya's story, when he is finally starting to understand what Carly said to him mm-hmm. and understanding how he has seen things differently than he should, than the way yeah. he even thought he did. Mm-hmm. He says... What is it in us that seeks the truth? Is it our mind? Or is it our heart? I set out to prove a black man could receive a fair trial in the South, that we are all equal in the eyes of the law. That's not the truth. Because the eyes of the law are human eyes, yours and mine. And until we can see each other as equals, Justice is never going to be even-handed. It will remain nothing more than a reflection of our own prejudices. So until that day, we have a duty under God to seek the truth. Not with our eyes and not with our minds where fear and hate turn commonality into prejudice, but with our hearts. Well, we don't know better. Yeah, it's that with our hearts where we don't know better that makes me love that yeah it's so true and so good and 
God, his performance was amazing, especially when he was crying. But I just hearing Tanya's story again, I was like, this is exactly what he should do. This yeah. is what the jury needs to hear. But I cannot bear listening to this. And I cried the whole way through it. It was just tore me into little pieces. Yeah. it, And that's the only time in the movie that the audience gets the full story of what happened to her as well. Right. We saw bits and pieces of it and we heard bits and pieces of it in testimony as they were trying to get it into the testimony that, you know, as the judge said, we're not trying the little girl's rapist. We're trying the murder. And so they kept like trying to fit it in. But listening to him tell that story, we got the whole thing from start to finish. And oh, it just hurts. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was hard to watch. <laughs> but then following that up, we get the hug at the very end between Carly and Tanya. And honestly, this time, that is the only part of this movie that made tears spring to my eyes. Oh. Like, yeah. I had a lump in my throat and my chest hurt during Jake's closing remarks. Mm-hmm. But that hug between the two of them, just, it, it spilled out. I could not help it. And that was a very sob-worthy moment. Yeah. It's a very sob-worthy movie. (laughs) It is. But unlike The Green Mile that ended with no hope, this one ends with hope. Yes, it does. It ends with not necessarily restoring faith in humanity, but showing that people can grow and learn. There were some moments here that restored my faith in humanity in, in ways I didn't quite expect. Things that genuinely surprised me in how good they were, mm-hmm. um, especially in a movie this difficult. Because mm-hmm. I think every actor in this movie was incredible. Like, the performances all around, you know, were, were just amazing. But especially for me, you know, Ellen Rourke and Harry Ricks, because Sandra Bullock and Oliver Platt are amazing and funny. And any comic relief in this movie was greatly greatly appreciated oh yeah but i think that moment between the two of them where she says nice to meet you morally compromised and he says nice to meet you she yeah <laughs> I yeah that's funny always love that and and he he owns it too you know when she's trying to figure out what to do she's like what would jake do what would lucian do and he's like what would harry rex do cheat cheat like crazy <laughs> I was like i love him there was something about that that delighted me and then of course you know ellen rourke was freaking incredible an excellent researcher and you know i was immediately gonna love that of course and brilliant and badass and oh she's a genius and she owns it and i was like where are all the movies with the women just coming up with their resumes and saying how badass they are and never once apologizing that was so fantastic that was pretty great i love that she just sat there and rattled off all of the reasons why she was overqualified and perfect for the job yeah me too she was great and and at first i thought jake was like incredibly stupid for turning down her offer to help but i think he wanted to stay away from her because he was very attracted to her and like that was the Mm. only thing that made sense to me as to why he didn't want her help because he needed her help yeah i couldn't figure it out either i was trying to figure out if it was just like some male machismo thing that he was doing it just it didn't make sense to me yeah, I, I think it was, I have a real spark with this woman. Obviously, they shared a passion for the same work. 
working very closely like that on such a heated case. You know, I think that, I think that was why he was like, no, this is inviting all kind of trouble into my life at a moment when my marriage is very tense. Mm -hmm. That was how I took it. Okay. Because, you know, then they had that moment between them where she asked, do you want me to stay? And he says, yeah, I want you to stay. So you better go. Yeah. So, and I was glad that they didn't get drunk and sleep together because I think their connection was real, but their connection was tied to this case. Mm -hmm. And so I was really glad that they, that they didn't mess that up. But I think she genuinely cared for him. You know, when, when Jake said, win or lose, we make one hell of a team. And she came back really softly and said, we might have, we really might have. And I think she was talking about a lot more than the case. Yeah. With that, but that was just kind of how I how I read that, you know, and Yeah, they skirted around it a lot, but I'm I'm really glad they didn't go there. Another, yeah. you know, in the hands of a a lesser director, they would have gone there, I think. And that was just unnecessary with everything else that was going on in this movie. We did not need sex. We did not need more conflict. Mhm. Yeah. But maybe that's why maybe that's why Ashley Judd was so sweaty all the time because they needed something to be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Sandra Bullock rattling off law statistics and figuring out cases is pretty sexy in my opinion, but Oh, I agree. I guess <laughs> that might not work for everybody. <laughs> but I liked her kind of echoing what Carl Lee was trying to tell Jake when she said, make the jury see this whole case through your eyes. Like, I think it took Jake a while to understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. But I think Ellen got it a lot faster than he did. Yeah. So she was just amazing. And like all of my tickle pink things, I organized by character because mm-hmm. the characters were just so great. And oh my God, do I love Lucian? Like drunk gentleman that he is. <laughs> I adored him. I loved him. Um, I loved that that banter between him and Jake when Jake was like, I need a drink. And Lucian gave him this look and he's like, I'm my own man. I drink when I want. Yeah. <laughs> Lucian just said, when did your wife leave town? And Jake was like, this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. And I loved his don't quit speech. You know, telling him I was needed here in that courtroom and you're needed here in that courtroom. But my favorite thing that he said was before Jake walked in, you know, to do the last part of the case, he said, I love you. And I thought we need more movies where men say I love you to each other. Yes. I I thought that that was incredibly well done. And when he came into the courtroom for the summation, when he said he would not like that was what Jake needed. And when Jake said, my teacher taught me that, like, you've got pedagogy and, like, deep bonding and snark all together. It mm-hmm. delighted me to know him. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not really a fan of Matthew McConaughey. I may be the only woman in America who does not think he's sexy, but I love him in this movie. My favorite role he plays is in Contact, though, with Jodie Foster. When he's the man of the cloth without the cloth. Like, (laughs) that's my favorite Matthew McConaughey movie. But I think his performance in this was flawless. Like, he was amazing. Yeah. And the question that kept staying with me was, why didn't he tell the sheriff 
that Carly was going to kill those boys. Like, and I'm not calling them boys. They are grown ass men that Carly was going to kill the men who raped his daughter because Carly told Jake he was going to do that. And then Jake finally admits it to Ellen. Like he's been thinking about it and he's like, you know, yeah, I want those boys dead. You got them right now. So tomorrow we get in court. It's not just Carly, I'm trying to get off. And I don't think that was easy for him to admit that he willingly stepped back and let Carly take two monsters out of the world because it made him feel better for them to be gone. Right. You know. That wouldn't be easy for anybody to admit. No. And the fact that he did admit it out loud is pretty outstanding. I thought so, too. And I like that he refused to give up and that he refused to quit and that he did not give up hope for his dog. And Max being alive after the house fire restored my faith in the universe for a moment. Yes, it did. (laughs) I needed that dog to be alive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was. Oh, he. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. And then I really liked Jake and his family coming to Carly's house so their kids could play together. I thought that that was as it should have been. Yeah, and it was a nice callback to Carly saying, our kids don't play together. Our kids are never mm-hmm. going to play together. Right. And Jake finally understanding and taking steps to make things better. Yeah. You know, you can't change the world all at once. You can only do it one step, one person at a time. And I think Jake is doing the right thing. Yeah, I think so, too. I think one person in this movie who might have the power to change the world is Sheriff Walls was like seriously one of the main heroes of this movie this man was incredible and i cannot imagine the strength and courage and self-control that he has to have to stand being treated the way that he's treated Mm -hmm. he was such a badass all the way through he was so amazing and i loved that he answered jake's question on the stand after the judge told him not to yes i was was so great clapping Both him and Looney did it, and it's fantastic. Yeah. But I think probably the most amazing, like, life-affirming moment in this movie for me was when they put Looney on the stand. Mm -hmm. And Carl Lee told Jake, he said, ask him if he thinks I should go to jail. And, of course, Jake doesn't want to ask the man who lost a leg to Carl Lee shooting, you know, this question on the stand. But when he asks him, do you think Carl Lee should be punished for shooting you? Looney says, no, he's a hero. You turn him loose. And I got chill bumps everywhere because Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have ever seen that kind of courage and compassion in a movie, not only to forgive, but to defend the man who shot off your leg. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And then, of course, Samuel L. Jackson as Carl Lee, because I... I mean, Incredible doesn't even begin to cover this man's talent. Yeah. I mean, it is Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And <laughs> into everything. Just, right. And the tears and rage on his face. Just, God, that man is so talented. And Carl Lee not trying to skip town or run or hide when they come to arrest him. You mm-hmm. know, I love the cops bringing him to the hospital so he can apologize to Looney. And I, I just thought that that was amazing. And then when the preacher 
and the representative from the NAACP are trying to change lawyers. I love how Carly took control of that situation and just flat out, you know, told the preacher, how much of that cash did you offer my wife and kids? And Jake let Carly take the lead there and he ended up getting money for the defense and for his family because the man was brilliant. And I Mm -hmm. loved that moment. And I like them choosing each other again. Like there was a fierce choosing there of client and lawyer and I liked it and I like them sticking together. But when Jake was so happy about it, he was like, we make a great team. I like Carly reminding him, we ain't no team. I'm in here. You're out there. Like you are here to do a job. If you want to be my friend, that's a different kind of conversation. And I like that. I thought it was really good. Yeah. So, and of course, we can't talk about this movie without Samuel L. Jackson's line. Yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. Because that was amazing. Yeah. So funny story. If you um, are on Twitter and you do a gift search for A Time to Kill, that's the only gift that exists for this movie. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I I was put I posted on Twitter that I was watching this movie today and I wanted to find a gift to include but I didn't want to include that one because uh-huh. it's just it's so strong and I was trying not to come off strong in my I'm watching a movie tweet you know and so I think I ended up just picking a picture of like Sandra Bullock um, <laughs> but even just like doing a Google search of gifts from this movie it was all that scene between Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson. Wow. <laughs> I guess we gift what we remember, and that was the most memorable line from this movie. Yeah, I think so. And I think we got the happiest ending that we could, yes. given the absolute hell and destruction and torture, you know, with Carly being found innocent and Freddie and the KKK assholes being arrested. But I did not even have the emotional energy to put anything in our other thoughts bucket because I was worn out. yeah no I totally understand I think the one thing that I'm really glad this movie did is it did not pretend that Carly wasn't a killer they Mm -hmm. did not pretend that Carly did not do this thing in fact Lucian even specifically says bear in mind that Mr. Haley is guilty as sin under our legal system it does not permit vigilante violence and he took the law into his own hands he murdered two people Mm mm-hmm And there are some movies who would have avoided that. Yeah. And I'm really glad that this movie took the time to say, this man did this thing, but we think he was justified. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of movies do that. Yeah. And it called back to Jake's question of what is truth, right? right? Which was really interesting. But I love Lucian, I think because he had that scholar perspective when he said if you win this case justice will prevail and if you lose this case the law will prevail that's a strange case yeah you know it was something like that I might have gotten it wrong because that's not in my notes that's from memory but um but I thought that was a really interesting perspective that he would have not being directly involved in the case yeah you know looking at it from like a moral ethical legal lens and how rarely those three things come together when it comes to our laws but i did i thought that that was really interesting too and the movie did not shy away from the hard questions and the hard parts no not at all i i think that's one of the reasons why i continually think this movie is so good Mm -hmm. it is so smartly written 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I think it is a damn good movie to tell the story it tells. It's just too hard of a movie for me to go back and watch for like another 10 years. Yeah. So, what are we going to watch next, Mandy? Next week, we are going to be talking about Big Fish for our season two finale. And I have absolutely no idea what this movie is about or who's in it or even what genre it is. So this will be fun. (laughs) I don't remember much about it. So I really hope that you don't want to kill me after you watch it. I would never want to kill you. This is not (laughs) that time to kill Manny. There's no way. All right. So we want to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, use the hashtag SFPOP and tell us about your experiences growing up in the South or how you feel about this movie. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy K, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones or on the Still Dead and Orgasm podcast from Chippers Media. Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our awesome show music, and thanks, y'all. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't walk around to go big. I've got a lot to say about today's modern art. There's stories and there's counterpoints, and I have got my unique voice. I'm a professor. is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.